you know, because I'm super proud of both Leia and myself with all these changes we're making because they're not they're not easy and they're not natural. We are going to make a profit on it. Like we're death, we're not going to lose money. Like it's it's like the first time I feel like I'd be like, we're definitely not losing money and we're not we're not breaking even. We're actually making a profit. I mean, it really feels amazing. Hello, Spacers. From Austin, Texas, I'm Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, I'm talking with co-founders of Bright Umbrella, Emily Lewis and Leah Alcantara, about the marketing and sales changes they did for their own web design development agency. If you're a freelance web builder or a member of a small and nimble agency, you'll want to listen to this episode as we talk about thriving a business, going beyond the superficial marketing and sales how-to and tips that you find out there. And we see how they focused their own efforts and started becoming profitable and ultimately happier running their business. Some notes on where I'll be. At the end of July, I'll be hosting the CSS Summit. The CSS Summit is a three-day virtual conference focused on CSS, as well as the super friend technologies like SAS, SVG, preprocessors, and much, much more. Uh, be sure to pick up your early bird tickets now at CSSSummit.com. Again, that's CSSSummit.com. Also, Lyft has uh, given me the opportunity to give new writers a $50 credit for trying it out their service. Go to Christopher.org slash Lyft. That's L-Y-F-T. You can set it and forget it with a non-breaking space show newsletter. When a new show is ready, you're going to have it show up in your email box by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Also find this episode's show notes and links discussed at nonbreakingspace.tv. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at Teleject. Again, that's T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. And as always, thanks for subscribing, liking, and telling others about Non-Breaking Space Show on iTunes. Now, on with the show. Just like, oh, I am so and so, and you are so and so. Let's just start. You know, we we know each other, and it's like, and uh, you know, it's it's not like Hollywood or L.A. or <laughs> like you know, the talk shows. Is like, hi, I'm Stephen Colbert. You may remember me from yesterday or the twenty year career I've been having on TV. You know, just, right? You know, so they got, to, there needs to be a transition. That's why they always do the introduction as if you've never heard of them. Yeah, and then there's people t- tuning in for the first time. Mm-hmm. All the time so, right? But, yeah, so it's like. Yeah, that's what we do. We have a standard spiel. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. I know you guys are, are busy. Absolutely. As everyone is. But, uh, but just, I know. Thank you for taking the time out. I think, uh, have you both been on the show individually in the past? Yes, yeah. I have. Okay. And wait, didn't we do one? T- Was that something else? I, don't I know Leigh and I've done another person's like- podcast together, but I forget yeah. who it yeah. was. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I know we we did uh, Ari and I did yours with uh, talking about conferences. Yeah. In the past. So that was yes. Yes. Nice. That was a good time. And then, um, but um, I was uh, wasn't feeling too well. I was going through podcasts, trying to catch up on all the podcasts, and I heard the one where you interviewed Brad Weaver, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was just like floored about like how honest you were about the business that you're like you're running, which is Bright mm-hmm. Umbrella. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like, was it two years you've been running it? Three. Three years now? Yeah, okay. this June will be three. Wow. Okay, cool. Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. And then, um, but then, uh, but Emily, you've been freelancing for what, seven to eight years now? Uh, yeah, I think it'll be seven this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And um, it just sounds like, uh, I just, you know, it sounds like by talking to Brad and talk about the problems you're coming with that you, I feel like you've, uh, I don't want to put your words in your mouth, but just like you find like the businesses, the financial stuff is coming together, mm-hmm. the marketing stuff is coming together, the the brand awareness is coming together, mm-hmm. uh, more so it has in the past. And so I really wanted to, if that's true, I, I like, hopefully, do you think that's a, a fair assessment? Yeah, I feel like maybe not necessarily the brand awareness because I feel very... I feel very good about what Leah and I did when we rebranded my freelance business to Bright Umbrella. Um, And I still feel we're very on point with our brand, Mm -hmm. but I don't think we were on point with how to apply that brand, which I think kind of falls into marketing. Mm -hmm. And we're just starting to ramp up all of that and get a hold of our pricing. And I I think it's a result of struggling a little bit. Yeah. I, when I would, when it was just me, um, and I, and if I struggled, it was just me struggling and I could sort of manage that and deal with that internally. And in the back of my head, I was like, Oh, well, I could always go get a job at Starbucks to supplement my income. Like, you know, there were options, but once you're more than one person, and, and I think this is regardless of what your relationship is, whether you're partners or employee or employer, someone else's livelihood depends on you sustaining the business. Right. And we had a really rough year in 2014 in terms of finances. And, and really that comes down to poor management of finances mm-hmm. on my part. And so once we started looking at that more seriously with the help of Brad, there were just all these, once you hear them, it's common sense. But until you hear them, you're just like, what? Oh my gosh, what a great idea to do X. And once we started getting the pricing under control and Leia's taken that kind of as her role, because I hate dealing with numbers. (laughs) Um, And so once we felt that that was in a place where we could manage it and and check on it regularly, we realized that kind of towards that marketing thing that we are fortunate enough that work has come to us. But in that rough year when work wasn't coming to us, we didn't know what to do. And we don't want that to happen again. And so we've been doing a whole lot of marketing work, in particular in 2016, with a consultant to improve the business part of having a business. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty much it in a nutshell. I would say that, um, you know, just to take a step back when, you know, you kind of mentioned the branding and while we're really happy with our actual branding, like branding is actually quite holistic and the marketing part was kind of failing in the way that we weren't intentional about it. Mm -hmm. The thing is, it's not like we didn't do any marketing. It's just that we weren't smart about it. Like we were just kind of like throwing stuff. Like we knew social media was good. We knew blogging was good. Like everybody knows that those are the things you need to do, right? Mm -hmm. And they do work, but we didn't have a set direction and set way to understand how to utilize those tools appropriately mm-hmm. and how to um, really target it. And part of it too is that, um, 
you know, when we mentioned like we're really happy with our branding, I mean, that kind of, uh, you know, shows how good our reputation is. But your reputation, especially if your reputation is within your peer group versus your end client, those are two different things, Mm -hmm. you know, because like you're, um, you know, especially if there is some sort of, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't know for sure if there's an industry cycle where um, work just overall slows down for whatever reason due to politics or economics, then if your primary source of marketing is towards your peers, then you have an industry-wide shutdown, you know? But when you stop and think about it, you know, when you take a step back, well, clients are really never in short supply. The clients themselves, business problems always exist. People always need to sell their sites and there's I, I feel like enough work to go around, but but the issue is if everyone is just selling, like developers are just selling to other developers and designers are just selling to other designers. Um, that's not really sustainable, especially if there was, I feel like 2014, there was some sort of industry-wide mm-hmm. situation happening because I don't think our story was unique at all, mm-hmm. but we wanted to be, um, the company that didn't have to write the, you know, sad blog post that we're shutting down or whatever. We're like, no, that is not an option for us. The option is to succeed. So in terms of uh, marketing, in terms of uh, marketing brand, because you felt like you, the brand is on point. So what did you learn specifically about like uh, working uh, the marketing, like working, getting the brand out, awareness out there? And so I, so I hear you talk about not marketing to other developers, but like, but what what would you learn about you know all the blog posts and social media stuff? Like it seems like you had a um, to aim for something different mm-hmm. and, and use tools to to measure that. Like so, what what things did you? Learn? Well, the first thing we did is we realized that we were marketing to our peers, and that was a problem because we don't do work for our peers, but we're writing blog posts telling our peers how we build stuff, and it, and it, and it made when you think about it, it makes no sense. We need to write stories to our clients about how we build things that solve their solutions. So it's, Leah and I are prolific with our writing and our blogging and our social media. And so it's about taking that and making it targeted to our audiences. And before we could even do that, we have to figure out who those audiences are. And the the real bottom line for us was that we realized that we had gone as far as we could on our own and we needed help. And we reached out to um, a colleague to get some coaching and she was very far out of our budget and wanted to take a much more holistic approach, which is something that I think in an ideal world, Leah and I would really like to do um, in terms of kind of tackling everything but we don't have the budget and we don't have the time. And so we started looking for someone who could really help us focus on kind of like a, like a punch list of things that Leah and I just gut feels felt we had, we needed help with. And so once again, we reached out to Brad Weaver and we're like, do you know anyone <laughs> who helps with marketing? And of course he did. And he put us in touch with Elise. Uh, oh, I'm going to massacre her last name. I think it's Bonin, Beanin, Bunin. Anyways, she's marketing-mentor.com. And she took the exact kind of approach that I mentioned. Leah and I kind of made a list of what we thought we needed help with and said, can you help us with this? And, um, 
you know, what we've been doing the past, I guess it's about two months with her is working to validate some assumptions that Leah and I had about the markets we wanted to reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Le- Leah and I have since, I guess la- this time last year decided we were going to invest and promote the fact, invest in uh, other women business owners and promote the fact that we are women business owners. And we were attending a conference for women business owners and felt like, all right, that's the market we're going to target. We like working with women. We like helping other women business owners grow their business. You know, we think we can be of value. And that's where we stood when we came to Elise. And she was like, "Eh, I don't think so. Uh, she's, you know, cause she has, can, has experience working with other women business owners. And based on that, she actually did not feel that what our assumptions were, were accurate, but she said, don't, don't just take my word for it. Yeah. You need to research your market. And she's like, this would be the case regardless of whether I thought you were right or wrong. You have to research your market. So We've been taking a really methodical approach, um, not only to women business owners, but also the education market because we have a lot of education clients and just it just happened that way. And so what if we were to be intentional about trying to get those, what that might look like? Mm-hmm. And Leah, do you want to describe some of the things we're doing to kind of research those markets and find out if we can help them? There, There's so many different ways to do it. So let's talk about like one of the simpler like really, really baseline thing. Follow, follow potential organizations and clients on social media. And it sounds so <laughs> easy <laughs> and straightforward. But yeah, you know what, to be frank, I think part of it is because again, that like web design developer bias, because we're part of the industry, we're part of the people who first started using Twitter. Right. And there was a, a kind of um like thought process where it's like, no, you don't follow every single person and all that stuff. But what was right five years ago when there wasn't that glut of people and businesses on Twitter, for example, or Facebook is different now because people are interacting and using social media for business outreach. And so one of the simplest things that we've started to do is we started doing research over what these types of you know women business owner um, organizations are and what these educational organizations are. Um, make a spreadsheet, made a list, and then we just started following them. So we follow them from our Bright Umbrella business account. And that was our first step. But then we realized... Well, Emily and I individually actually have way stronger brand presences. Like most people still understand, like while we've been building the Bright Umbrella brand and we're really proud to, you know, um, to promote that and grow that individually, people know me as Leah and everyone knows Emily, you know, separately. And then so we had to follow these accounts ourselves personally. And what's interesting is just that mere fact that we started to do that, um, you just note you you get a micro interaction from someone that you might actually want to do business with, even if it's just a hello. So now they understand that you exist. So that's kind of like the the simplest baseline thing that we didn't used to do that now we're doing. Um, and since we're still on the social media thing, 
basically anybody um, that we're already starting to, you know, have any prospective calls or talks to, we immediately add to LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Like it, like before we had hesitations again, like we were like, oh, you know, we don't want to be a bother. We don't want to be spammy. We don't want to, you know, like basically all those kind of things. But really that was holding us back because it, we aren't spammy people. Like we right. wouldn't do that anyway. This is just literally us keeping touch, right? Mm-hmm. So immediately add, um, you know, people to LinkedIn. Um, and then in terms of the, uh, you know, other out- outreach for the markets, once we started figuring out what the major organizations involved are regarding, you know, women in business or education. We started just reviewing their membership lists, um, their listservs. And then we actually did this thorough competitive analysis of literally people in a similar space Mm -hmm. and tried to figure out what did we, what do they do wrong? What do we do right? Um, What are they actually selling? you know, is it actually similar to what we think we're selling? So competitive analysis in terms of just services or, or just of, from other people like, like Bright Umbrella or, or just. No, uh, well, basically, for example, in the education market, we started looking at people who were selling anything. um, Like when we were looking at the directory, anybody who said that they did web design or development um, for educational institutions. Okay. Um, but they weren't. And what was interesting is we just kind of listed them. And what was interesting we found is not, not all of them were actually, most of them actually were not web design development companies at all. Oh, really? Yeah. They were were branding and marketing companies Mm -hmm. that did bad web design. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. On the side. You know, that being said, there were, you know, when you see that much bad, when you see the outstanding, it Mm -hmm. really it really stands out. And that's kind of like where Emily and I want to start heading, like where we're the ones that stand out because there is a glut of bad work, mm-hmm. you know? And I think part of the issue, you know, too, cause I know, you know, especially when you talk amongst your peers and conferences and things like that, and we're lamenting, you know, bad coding practices or bad design. And yet, you know, a big organization launches with like something really bad. And then we maybe our ego or whatever we think like well my god we can do a much better job the reason why we didn't get the job is because we weren't in front of that client mm-hmm. we weren't in front of that customer we didn't have the conversations they did mm-hmm. maybe they don't do like at the end of the day even i think the biggest thing was the mindset and understanding that yes we are super good at our job and we're very proud of that and it is a selling point but at the end of the day what clients really care about is can you do something for me that helps my business? Mm-hmm. Can you do something for me that helps my organization get enrollment? You know, those types of those types of things that, you know, because we're so deep into our love of HTML and CSS and, you know, layouts and gestalt and like color theory and accessibility, all those are great things. That's what makes us craftspeople. But if we're not in front of our clients explaining why that's important and not necessarily because just because we like it, it's because this actually benefits their, their bottom line, you know? And you, and you know, if I can just piggyback on Leah's point there, when we're having those conversations, we, and, and this is in our writing as well as when we're talking on the phone, as well as when we're putting proposals together and emails, 
we have to consciously edit ourselves from being like, we're building a responsive, mobile friendly website. (laughs) Because honestly, that doesn't mean a whole lot to most of our clients. They want to know that the website works on their phone and their desktop. And while that means, while basically I said the same thing you just heard me say, because you're in this industry, mm-hmm. that do, we have to use the terms that the clients relate to, as opposed right. to us trying to be like, you know, us trying to talk to each other. And I think that's the problem with the quote unquote marketing I did before is that it was all based on going to conferences with my peers where we talk about the latest projects and the blog posts I'm reading or like how to be more performant. And the thing is, those things don't mean anything to a client couched in those terms. They just don't. Yeah. And we have to really work on the language that we use to communicate so that they don't see us as, uh, we don't want to be code monkeys. We want to be partners yeah. to help them solve problems. So we got to start talking about the problems they have and the solutions we give them. So it sounds like it was, tr- you guys are trying to work hard to have the conversation yeah. With the client, first of all, that needs to work. Uh, first of all, which is always a great thing to do. Like that's the main thing I do. Um, so you're you're doing competitive analysis, uh, joining I guess organizations to see mm-hmm. their their yeah. their lists of members, uh, and then also the list of vendors I guess as well. Right. To see what they do, see if they, how you match up. That's where competitive analysis comes in. But then to also try to get uh, have that conversation. With the client, so there, it's not like a, I guess, a cold call or whatever, mm-hmm. or cold yeah. email or whatever, and so and then make sure your language is less te- technical, less you know, over the head of your client, yeah. right? Is that? Yeah, and not just less technical, but focused on the client. Not we build websites. Like you need a website. Right. Let us help you with that, you know, as a we're so great. <laughs> but everything we say needs to come from the the angle that we're talking to someone we're using the literally using the word you You. and and not trying to be like our education clients like our websites say we build websites that you will like you know something just a lot more personal and a lot more specific which i think fits in line with our brand ourselves you know Mm -hmm. um I, i feel like we're not the type of um company that needs to be formal so in many ways, some of the language that we're trying to deal with needs to sound a lot more, it needs to sound a lot more uh, natural, I guess. But it, it's, it's tough. Like it, it's, it's so easy for us to be like, you just need to talk to the client. You know, Emily and I go back and forth editing things down until it really sounds like we're just talking to a lay person. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, our first drafts often, even when we are already in that mindset, Mm-hmm. of speaking like the client, you know, after another set of eyes, it's just like, no, this still sounds like you are, you know, way too techie. Like they really don't, you know, they really don't understand the context. And it's not even about just the sales too. Like I'm also beginning to truly understand for documentation for our current clients when we're trying to hand over a CMS and for them to understand, you know, how to update their site, um, do they know what a variable is? No. I mean, no. do you use the term variable or do you use the term content? Like, or this micro content, you know, like 
defining it as micro content instead of variable. Well, the term variable makes sense to us. Like we know what that means, but makes no sense to them. And then even, you know, and, and I, that's on top of my mind because I was doing some documentation today and we were do- talking about caching. So caching is a very technical term that seems so like no brainer for us, but perhaps the better way to say it to someone who's non-technical is we're going to save this piece of content so that the system doesn't have to read it over and over and over again. You know, like that's like, it might expand the documentation a bit more, but it's, it's always trying to be again in, in service of, um, the client. And like, you know, just as another aside, like in regards to this, it's kind of like with the shifting mindset, it really does help us with sales because it puts us in a point of like empathy because we're not, I feel like sometimes when we talk to our colleagues who are really down and deep in the technical world, it's like they're frustrated why the client doesn't get why caching is important, doesn't (laughs) get why, you know, like they don't get it. But the thing is, if you're constantly thinking to yourself, how else can I phrase this? Because at the end of the day, the reason why we're doing all these things like caching or accessibility, it's to give them a great product that does fulfill their goals. We're trying to help them. They just don't get it yet because we're talking to them in gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just sounds like you're becoming, you're adding the skill set of becoming a great salesperson, right? That's, uh, you know, it's like when I worked at an agency, you know, the salesperson didn't know web stuff, you know, <laughs> like you know, like they, they would they would be, Bored to tears and trying to learn sales stuff, but they're in charge of selling, you know, a big website to people and making sure that they uh, they got it. So, so I could totally see where you guys are coming more fo- not you know focused with uh, your language that the client can appreciate and be happy with, but also, um, you know, if there are technical questions, if there are uh, issues, that you're also there to provide them mm-hmm. as well. And that thing. So I think that's I think that's very awesome. Yeah, And I think something that's come as a result of this is that if you had said that statement to me about, oh, you're becoming a better salesperson a year ago, I would have been like, ew, I know, right? Ew, how dare you? (laughs) We're not friends. Don't know me. But, you know, I think working with Elise has really helped us. And, and I, you know, there's nothing like having a bad year to, and really still wanting to succeed and not like move on or give up to be like, all right, I'm not doing it right. So I've got to start, you know, swallowing my assumptions and my ego and, and the things that I've learned and be willing to shift. And, um, I just don't feel it. You know, it's also like not thinking that profit's a bad word, like, Ooh, Mm. God forbid we make a profit, but um, the truth is, is that I don't think I'll ever view myself as a salesperson, but, you know, essentially what we're being able to do is, is talk on a, a real level with our clients about their problems. Mm-hmm. And that is how we sell ourselves. It's yeah, you know, the way to do it. I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I think, I think some people in our industry, just like when we were talking to Brad about pricing is that there are these, there are these, these, web geek cultural things about, you know, you shouldn't be trying to make so much profit. You shouldn't be a salesperson that those are somehow disingenuous 
um, characteristics for a web developer or a web designer to have because it's it's not the core of what we do. And you know what? I I am really good at what I do, but I will not be able to do what I do yeah. until I can sell it and maintain this business. Right. I can't. I just can't. And I'm not good. Like Leah said, I'm not going to write that post saying we're shutting down. I'm just not going to. Yeah. And I, I would have to also say that making a profit actually, I feel like makes us better developers yeah. because um, in the past when we've been pricing and estimating things way too low, way, way, low. way too low, we would scramble and just, we'd give, we'd deliver what we promised, mm -hmm. but because we take pride in our work, we understand sometimes that we've cut corners in order to get that delivered within a certain budget and timeline. But when you price yourself where there's enough profit, no one is stressed, mm -hmm. then you actually have the leeway to do the proper research, to do the proper experimentation, to figure out whether that your initial solution was you know, good or maybe another solution is better. But now you actually have the leeway to do that type of experimentation and research. But like when you work with such small budgets, then that leeway is just gone. It, there, is, there is none. There is no leeway. You just provide exactly what they asked for, which is fine. But, you know, if you're the type of professional like Emily and I, we always try for excellence. And it hurts. It actually personally hurts mm -hmm. us when we can't. Like we, when we can't, because it actually loses us money, you know? Right. Well, I do want to come back to the competitive analysis, business research type, sure. of, type of thing, but, but you bring up a good point about uh, profit and estimating and, and the, you know, working for good hours. So I just want to say, what changes have you made uh, to billing, I guess, uh, the journal term billing uh, that you from what you well, what 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 did you do before and what changes did you put in place now that you feel feel better about billing? Um, well, I think Leia should talk about some of the the analysis and maintenance we do. But the highest level is we were moving completely away from hourly pricing and doing flat rate estimates. Um, we're offering particularly for our long term clients that they're just going to have ad hoc work and that's not the kind of stuff that you necessarily do a flat rate estimate for, but you could do hourly. We're trying to push them into packages for support. And flat rate just for people listening or is. Um, we look at everything with the project and come up with a number and right. that's the number it never exceeds. And if, <laughs> if the project comes under budget, that's our money, it's profit. Okay. Um, and so for the clients who need the ad hoc kind of support, we are trying to encourage them towards support packages, mm -hmm. um, that they, in a way like a retainer that they pay for in advance. Okay. Um, and the key to all of that has been better estimating. We created a customized estimation sheet from Brad's, um, creative truth assets and, there's a lot of padding built into it. There's, it's so very detailed. It's almost impossible for us to forget. Oh yeah. When we, when we're doing the HTML, there tends to be some back and forth between the client. So let's make sure we have a line item for that communication during that phase or, 
um, you know, oh, we're going to need some support on this. So we need to make sure we build in $5,000 for a subcontractor. Um, just all of those little details. And that estimating sheet, Leia is the one who sort of put it together <laughs> based on what Brad did. And we shift the base rate based on Leia's analysis that she does every month. Well, well no, I like I basically do a quarterly analysis of our or uh, what's it called just our general pricing. But then we're supposed to we I also did a full year review um, which um, of 2015, which is what our rate is based on now. So it's just kind of like always just making sure that the temperature of our business is in the right right space. And I, we never used to do that. We used to just be like, okay, the project's this, and then we get this, and then that's it. Now we're like scheduling time to review um, like pricing. In terms of what I do monthly is I do review how much money is in the bank. You know, like we, and we never used to do that, to be frank. Like we never used to like be intentional about that. I mean, we checked the bank account, but we didn't write it down. We didn't break it down. We didn't, you know, like now we're always checking it to make sure that, um, you know, our expenses make sense and that what we're charging will, you know, minimally pay for Emily and I as well as these expenses. Mm -hmm. And then of course, profit so that we can continue running the business. Because I think the bottom line is if you're anti-profit, then you're just zeroing out. Like you are not, you're not growing, you're not becoming better, you're not becoming worse, it's just zeroing out. And then that leaves for no room for error. So what, what goes into your reviews? Like, so I know you look for, you said you look for money in the bank, but like uh, you, you you have a rate and you adjust the sheet. So like, and you mentioned temperature, so I'm not really sure what you meant by temperature. Oh, well, well, generally speaking, it's just kind of like seeing, are we making enough to pay the bills? is always the the main the main thing and to generally project we don't do any fancy projection it's just kind of like okay this is how much money we currently have in the bank what if x okay still we're still fine and leia one of the things that that particular monthly analysis is really helpful for is as i mentioned back in 2014 due to my poor financial <laughs> paying attention to NIF, paying attention to it at all, um, I ended up with a $20,000 tax bill that I didn't have the money for in the business and had to drain my personal savings to cover it. And so every month, based on what we've brought yeah. in, Leia's like, make sure you have this much in the bank to pay your estimated taxes. Because yeah. you can, uh, if you run a business the way I do it, I don't know enough about the different structures, but basically I have to pay an estimated quarterly tax payment every quarter. That's based on the previous year's, um, I don't know if it's revenue or income, but anyways, right. it's based on the previous year. But if this year is doing better than last year, or than the previous year, mm. at, come April of next year, I will have to pay more. And I want to know what that is today, not in April of next year. Um, yeah. And so we're always setting aside the money that is needed for taxes. Um, we're also making attempt to set aside money for conferences and other things like Elise's consulting. So yeah. she's looking at what we're bringing in and what our expenses are and trying to project what we should have in the bank to let us have 
not only coverage for taxes and you know paying us our our salaries but the opportunity to grow through things like yeah. conferences and a lease yeah and that only happens with profit and i can't you know emphasize that enough like profit is not a bad word profit allows you to go to conferences so you can become a better developer, become a better designer. Mm -hmm. If you don't have profit, then you don't have leeway. You're just on to the next job, on to the next job, right? Do you think the word profit is this kind of a, a bad word in our industry or is it in society or? I, I would, well, I'm going to jump in. Um, both. Yeah. We're, we're in a, especially in the field. Yeah. So we're in a creative field and we technically would do this for free because we <laughs> love it. But yeah. of course, we need to pay the bills and have a living. So yeah. so we charge for it. So part of it is this weird guilt because we're enjoying our job. We shouldn't be paid as much, which is mm. kind of actually backward thinking. You should be paid more because you enjoy it, you know, and you're you're good at it, that kind of stuff. So there, there's that in our you know industry. And also because um, many people in our industry are DIY. They didn't go to college or even if they did, they had no business training, no marketing training. Mm -hmm. um, it's like you just jump right in and just provide the service, right? So there's kind of like that, that thought process where it gets ingrained that, oh, all I'm doing is providing my time. Mm -hmm. Or all I'm doing is providing the final website when, you know, a website isn't a website isn't a website. Like if a company, even if it's like a three-page brochure site, if it was for McDonald's versus mom and pop shop, those need to be priced differently. Right. You know, like those, those, those types of things, though, um, you know, a lot of us in, like in our industry um, struggle to reconcile. Mm -hmm. um, and then society-wise, especially in this current political climate, this is kind of like a 1% versus 99% world that we're dealing with right now. And then especially with the craziness in Wall Street and all those kind of things, whenever people hear profit, they start, they, you know, think it's like Wolf of Wall Street type of <laughs> like kind of thing. Yeah, like of overindulgence and, mm -hmm. you know, access. Right. Like that's that's really kind of the 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 double edged sword of the word profit is that you've got that Wolf of Wall Street movie, you know, in the back of your mind. Plus, you've got that guilt of enjoying your job, which is weird. And then and then a lot of people don't have, uh, you know, proper training and education um, in business to to um, to move forward to sell their services, especially if they're like a singular person. Mm -hmm. You know, they a lot of people don't think of themselves as a business, even though mm -hmm. they are. Plus, it's, it's you know, it's tough being a business person and then doing doing everything right. So yeah, mm -hmm. you, you, you yeah. guys know you guys know this. You know, I don't know what to, Well, yeah. I, that's another point, Christopher. Though that I think you, if we certainly failed to take account of is that when we're looking at what our hourly rate needs to be, like what we bill clients or what we use for estimating, mm -hmm. it isn't just the production work. It's, yes. it's, you know, it's all the software that we pay each month to maintain the business. And it's all the time that Leah and I take internally going back and forth on, you know, everything. Cause that's just how we do. Mm -hmm. um, but we never looked at those big picture numbers of where, not only where we were spending money, but where we were spending time to factor that into estimating a project. And so we ended up losing money every single time. 
even when we thought we were doing well. Yeah, because the actual production stuff, because the biggest thing I have to say, though, is track your time. Even if you don't charge hourly, you you need to track your time to see where it's going. Mm -hmm. And when Emily and I look at the actual production work, that's really, you know, when we do our estimates, they're pretty close to it because we know the amount of effort it takes to do certain things. You know, at some point, there's certain things that we're like, okay, we know it's going to take this much. However, it's the rest of the project that's always the wild card. Like, um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about this this one other project, which was very, very, very similar to another one. But because this particular client was such an issue project management-wise and such an issue with... Um, entering content while the other one was not. We had priced this one thinking we were going to make a profit and it did not. Like it, it just didn't because all the project management we had to deal with, like the handholding, making mm -hmm. sure everything was good, all those kind of things were completely different even though the actual production work, again, when we looked at the hours, well, it was exactly as we had expected. Right. You know, but the but the rest of the project was not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's something else that people need to understand. Like again, a website isn't a website isn't a website. It's like it can it can vary depending on so many different types of factors. And if you don't factor all those types of things in, you know, and client, you know, like you charge the client that needs the more hand holding more <laughs> right. more than the other one who actually understands HTML. Right. You know? So how how do you um, excuse me? So uh, how do you track your hours? Like what software or spreadsheet or like how do you, how do you track your hours? We use uh, FreshBooks, and okay. just to do a little plug on Control Click Cast, we recently had an episode with all the software that we use to run the business. Oh, nice. So FreshBooks we use for the time tracking, um, as well as our invoicing and expense management. It kind of does most of it. All right. Did yeah. they, they they just recently did an upgrade right on their UI? Right? I, if they did, I didn't notice it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not. It's not a bad UI. It's like, just very simple. But yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't notice it. Yeah. Well, it's been. It's been. It's been a decade. I guess since I used it last. <laughs> so. Uh, so it might be uh, a little bit better now. But uh, man, it was just so bad. I just gave up. On it. <laughs> but uh, it's probably better now. Tracking hours is great. I always. I'm terrible at it. Um, but even though I, I should do it just so I know it's just what you say, like you should know how long things take. Mm -hmm. you know? And so, that, yeah. so my question to you is that, uh, you have a project, you know, how things take to build things out and your concern is one client will have a more handholding than the other. How is that handled now? Like, so you can go into a new project. Do, do you know if a client needs more handholding? Do you know right away? Oh, we have to build higher or do you just like. I, yeah. I well, there's always there's always an unknown if you've never worked with the client if they're a brand yeah. new yeah. client, right. but um, we take a lot of time with our prospects before they become a client. Um, okay. There's a lot of conversation, not just email. We've really started doing a lot more over the phone yeah, that's than we ever had, yeah. yeah, ever had in the past. Okay. Um, and I think by the time we get on average, by the time we get to signing the contracts, we've had at least three to five conversations and probably a dozen emails. And you get a sense real quick if someone's tech savvy or needy or um, lazy or on yeah. unresponsive. You get a lot yeah. from 
you know, we, we realize real quick, if someone doesn't get back to us in a reasonable amount of time, all of a sudden I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want this project so much anymore because right. they can't respond quickly. Um, so there's some unknown, but you do get a feel for it. But our estimating spreadsheet, and, and this is critical, is we have padding built in. Like yeah. we're no longer trying to build estimates to fit a budget. We're building an estimate yes. for, the pro- for the problem they want to solve. We give them that number. And if that makes them freak out, we try and talk to them about, well, what can we take out of this? Right. Well, what, what else could we do? What could we shift here? Could we phase this? Is one of these things not as important uh, for this year as maybe next year? Um, so instead of trying to fit some, some client who's like, um, $10,000. Right. Well, what they're asking for once the, once we look at it, it's it's a fifteen thousand to twenty thousand dollar project. We are forcing ourselves to stop trying to cut our estimates to fit that, and instead say, based on what you shared with us, this is what we believe it is going to take. Right, if- and then I would say like having that conversation uh, that that you you just described is amazing because because that means the clients willing to to listen to you and yeah. work with you, and I felt like. Uh, because that's when you know you have a potential for a client. Like, there's so many times when, when I was a freelancer um, or even worked with the agency, um, that we would send out a proposal, and you know they would say no, but they wouldn't want to have that conversation mm-hmm. as to like why um, right. it was too much or, or too little. So that's, that's another tip that Brad gave us. He was like, don't just give them the proposal. Give them yeah. the proposal and get them on the phone. Right. Yeah. You know, and talk to them. He's like, people want to say yes. That's just human yeah. nature. They want to be agreeable. Right. So get on the phone with them. And, and if you are, I'm not great on the phone. I'm, I'm not great in social situations in general, unless there's beer involved. So um, <laughs> I think one of the things that works for Leah and I, and this comes from our history podcasting is we script everything out mm-hmm. and yeah, we, we go back and forth on that email or phone conversation script in Google Docs with comments and notes and helping each other tweak where we're going to go, we decide who's going to be the lead on the call. You know, it, so we're approaching it. You know, it sounds like, oh, we just pick up the phone. No, we do no. a lot of prep work so wow. that that phone conversation, we keep it on track and we make sure we emphasize the points we feel are important. So, yeah. Yeah, and I would have to say getting a client or a prospect on the phone. Mm-hmm is so important because the tone of voice mm-hmm. tells you everything tells you everything. Cause I feel like one of the biggest fears and this includes me and Emily that people in an industry have is that they'll say, no, they're just, they, they're, they don't want to even take, you know, the price into account. What's interesting is once we and then that and then when we send out and we used to send out a proposal and be like oh we don't hear from them oh they hate it or we don't know what's going on about the price or whatever but um you know recently when we've been doing all these phone calls and we get them on the phone and then everything's spelled out and the price is there the price isn't even an issue mm-hmm. like and sometimes when you're first starting out to like be a lot more confident about the pricing and stuff when you first send it out, you're like worried that they're just going to jump on you and be like, no, this is whatever. But the moment you pick up the phone and you notice that they have other questions and the money isn't even, yeah. it's not even discussed. Mm-hmm. 
then you like all anxiety goes away, <laughs> like yeah. just all anxiety. Right. So it's just, it's good for, you know, I feel like with, with everyone and just gauging to see the interest. And the other thing too, that is important when you get somebody on the phone with a proposal is that we're not mind readers either, either. Right. So like when we create this proposal, we make a lot of assumptions based on, you know, what they're asking. When we actually have a client or prospect go through the proposal together, Right. Then they're like, well, I don't understand why this. And then you just answer that. Or we say, oh, we'll need to review, re-review that and get back to you with the correct answer because I don't have an, you know, an answer for you right away either. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and certain things where, you know, especially if you've got a client who does view you, view you as a partner, Brad is right. They want to pay you, mm-hmm. but they sometimes need arsenal. Right. That's the other thing. Like some people, you know, they're not saying no because they hate you. It's just you haven't give them, given them enough incentive to say yes quite yet. And sometimes whoever you're speaking to isn't actually the final person who's going to oh. sign the check. Yeah, and that's often. also super important to understand because even if they have buy-in with you, they're like, they understand that somebody else doesn't and then they're like you need they actually one of our clients actually said you need to help me out here you need to tell me i'm going to be bringing this to the director and she needs to understand graphs pictures i don't care what what this means because it doesn't like we all understand it but the person signing the check doesn't understand it so you know work on this a little bit and then we'll we'll see what happens. And we we ended up winning that particular project because right. we followed his advice, because we got him on the phone and went through the proposal. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, because like I always felt like uh my when I was able to talk to the client and be able to understand what they were asking for, but then also change the parameters of the project. Mm-hmm. Right. That was and then so because then I would talk to the client, they would change the parameters of the project. But the RFP that everyone else has got in the email box, and they'll never get on the phone with the client, they're going to answer that proposal. But the proposal that I just talked to with the client is unique and tailored to my conversation with them. That conversation, yeah. That it gets sent to the higher of the list versus the other people's. And so that's when, whenever that happened, I knew I was like, oh, my success rate just went up a few, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 10 percentage points. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I totally, totally agree with that. So that's pretty awesome. Cool. That's great. Yeah. And just, you know, because I'm super proud of both Leia and myself with all these changes we're making because they're not they're not easy and they're not natural. But the project she was just talking about that, you know, we eventually won. Mm-hmm. Um, it's we're going to make a profit on it. Like we're de- we're not going to lose money. Like it's it's like the first time I feel like I'd be like, we're definitely not losing money and we're not <laughs> we're not breaking even. We're actually making a profit. And not only are we both getting paid, we were able to hire another person and we're bringing a lot of value to the project. Oh, nice. Awesome. I mean, it really feels amazing. Cool. I think, I think if we do a high five right now, yeah. high five. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, I want to go back a couple steps. Uh, just had one question about billing. Just uh, so you uh, talk about flat rates. Uh, versus support and support packages, which is kind of uh, support packages. I assume and clarify that just like 
updates to the to the website to the project, just like whatever they want. Is that yeah? We're 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 agent? yeah we're offering. I guess what we're calling like three different types of support packages. Mm-hmm. The first one we're calling priority package. <laughs> and, and the second one is express package. Um, and the priority package, it's the one that costs the most, but you get the most for it. And the, the key differentiators are they get ongoing performance monitoring, mm-hmm. uh, ongoing, um, you know, if the CMS needs an add-on update, we'll update that. If the CMS had a point version update for a bug fix, we'll update that. And then like 15 hours of basic support, which, you know, it, it, these are things we're really only offering existing clients. And so we try and put what basic support means in terms of the work they've done with us. Yeah. Right. For one client, it's mostly, you know, conference calls with them and their vendors to scope out different needs or, Oh, this person needs permission to get into the CMS or, Oh, I've changed my Chrome settings to 90%. And now all the text looks weird. So can you fix that too? And just just a bunch of different, you know, random things like that. And then the, and, and the, in addition to that, it's a guaranteed two-hour response time within a specified time frame. Okay. And then the express package, it's essentially either 15 hours of basic support or eight hours of basic support with a one-day response time. That's per month and per quarter? or Per month, yeah. Okay, nice. So you do a flat rate, but have you thought about, um, I know um, Matt Griffin at, uh, was it Bearded? Uh, Bearded. Yeah, they, they do a, um, last time I talked to them at least, um, was a weekly billing, but mm-hmm. but they do scope out the project beforehand and say this is how much good it is. But instead of a big flat rate project or doing hourly, I mean they they do scope it out the budget, and then also they do like at the end of the week they just you know cut an invoice hmm. uh, to the project as well. So, um, what, have you thought about that? Or have you heard about that? Or what do you think about that? I, I've never heard of it. I. You know, here's the thing. I'm always willing to work with a client who we have a great relationship with. So if one of our existing yeah. clients was like, I need to start paying for this on a weekly <laughs> basis, like okay. I'd be willing to do that. <laughs> um, it's more administrative work. That's a pain on our end. But right. I, it, I'd have to know how they figure you know, if they're doing just like, what are the parameters? yeah, if they're just doing calculating of the hours for the week, that's not really flat rate. That's hourly. So oh, yeah. Um, but I would not want to do weekly invoicing from the simple fact is I don't want to generate a bunch of invoices every week. Right. Okay. The first of the month is like my hell day. Ah, yes. <laughs> that's yeah. that's yes. the worst yes. day of the month. I mean, until the checks come. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Matt mentioned it a lot during, um, artifact conference that we should do. So in terms of right. dealing with clients and I think, responsible design age, I think there's no magic bullet. There there's no one. there's yeah. no thing that we're going to say that's going to be a one-to-one with anyone listening. The th- I think what you have to walk away with from this conversation with, at least what Leigh and I are really learning, is that um, we have to be smart about the business in order to be designers and developers. We can't do that. I don't want to work for anybody else, so this is my option. So, And I have to define what being smart about this business means for me, for Leah. And we never want to be in a position where we're just doing something and never questioning why we're doing it. Even if we've done it for a year, in a year, we're going to question it and we're going to challenge each other. And we're going to make sure that we aren't getting complacent 
because, you know, it's easy for the bad stuff to sneak up on you unbeknownst because you're not paying attention. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if that works for them, I <laughs> do it. You know, I think you got to do what works for you, but you'll never know what works for you until you take the time to actually look at your numbers in your business. Right. And I would have to also say that uh, it's not like Emily and I are going to be prescriptive with every particular client. There's one particular client I think that flat rate value based is never we'll going to work. work. We'll won't never. Work. Won't work. Yeah. <laughs> She's always um, changing her mind and changing, and changing scope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, changing scope mid mid project, right about it before it's going to launch. But that's fine. I'm happy to to shift. Okay. Um, but that you can't. You can't work with that with a you know value based flat based you know kind of situation because if the goals change, right. then the project's completely you know the project's completely different, right? And right. so I mean that that you know is shifting, and um, you know Brad also mentions that you really should price based on the project and the mm-hmm. client, mm-hmm. you know, like if this is best for you know, a retainer situation, then it's a retainer. Then if this is best for just a flat fee, flat fee, that's, that's, that's it. And um, the other thing that I also want to mention is that while Emily and I are being very targeted over our, you know, particular clients and who we're marketing to and all those kind of things, we also don't want to be like prescriptive over saying like we're own, like we've got a minimum of fifty thousand dollars and <laughs> you know we can't do any websites under that. Like we're right. willing to still do small websites. It's just that now that we understand how to do proper estimating, mm-hmm. it's figuring out whether the profit makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Like okay, you can't do custom, but I can do that for I can install Squarespace for you and customize the colors in your logo. You know, uh, for that price, maybe, but I'm not going to code it from scratch. You know, th- like th- those types of things. So it's just kind of like going back and forth over well, what's the value, what's the expectations, and does that align with the budget? And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay too. I I remember Matt's model for payment just because I felt like it was so unique. Mm-hmm, right. And I, I haven't like I've heard about flat model before. I've heard about hourly before, but his was like. The first time he tried to stra- uh, first time I saw someone trying to straddle both mm, uh, in right. order to come with something new, and it's like, hey, it's cool, but the project changes. We can change we're the scope, still paid. no problem. But yeah, we're still going. Makes sense. We're still going to like bill you uh, on the week. So, and but then uh, that always feels like there's a cap. Then, so it's just like we'll bill you by the week, but it's going to be higher next week. Is that? And then well, I'm going to have to rescope it. Like what? Like do you do you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, scope changes are different, but the price yeah. stays the same. I don't know. Well, I just have to have Matt right here. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Matt, how's it going? Uh, yeah, uh, no. So, uh, but yeah, I feel like like the project, the scope will still go on. So like if you have uh, right. So the thing would be like so you have a four week project. Uh, normally flat rate. I don't know how you, like you want to do fifty percent down uh, up front or whatever wherever you want to do for flat rate. His his. Uh, from what I understand, caveat, uh, would be that, you know, that week one invoice, week two invoice, week three invoice, week four invoice. And then if something happens week three, cool, have the conversation with the client, uh, address the contract scope uh, in, into it, but you keep on invoicing hmm. till like week six and then you're done with that. So hmm. hopefully that's that's the example that I mentally I have in my brain of what Matt's example is, whether that's actually accurate or not. 
is up for the debate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so just so uh, that that's hopefully uh, right. explain that correctly. So, but uh, right. But I, I have heard, um, you know, variations of that type of thing. Like, um, yeah. I have a colleague here in Seattle who he does bill weekly, but he's careful over what that means. You know, because it's kind of like a sales tool, is in like, uh, and he also does one client at a time. Okay. So I feel like if your scope is that narrow, where it's that this you you you've decided it's going to be one client at a time, mm-hmm. and so when they buy that week, that's it. You know, like it's it, they can say the scope can change because it is you're the one person that, and I don't have to shift anything else. It's just, you're the focus. Cause that's kind of the issue when a lot of scope changes are, you've got other clients and projects that you've already lined up and scheduled, mm. you know, those types of things can affect that. But if you just have one, you know, client that changes things. And the other thing too, is the way he sells it is unlimited bug fixes, but then mm-hmm. he narrowly scopes what bug fixes mean, but they like the word unlimited. <laughs> do you know what i'm saying because yeah, like totally for example right. like emily and i and i say like oh basic support which includes you know oh if there's a bug fix to ee or you know craft or some other cms that we're right. using you know those types of things um and technically it's unlimited but we've capped it at 15 hours right you know gotcha. like yeah. if there's like more than 15 hours worth of bug fixes i don't know but it's like if there's less than that but like there's a ton of bugs but it takes us less time to to squash it technically that's also unlimited but it's just it's interesting really is that tactic is understanding what's important to the client right and to them is that to his particular clientele is that they don't have to phone him every time there's a bug because they've already hired him and he's already promised to look for the bugs okay they're just gonna get squashed you know so uh let me go back uh, I want to talk before. Just just want to see if there's any other uh, ideas that you have for marketing in general. Because mm-hmm. you talked about uh, competitive analysis and all this. With that, is there any other things that you do that you never that you have done before for marketing? Or yeah, so we we're still kind of in the earlier stages of this because um, we've only been working with Elise for like two months, but. Um, so Leah mentioned that we're following people on social media. We're supporting that by, uh, identifying good content from those organizations and companies that we want to retweet. So we're putting out good content to our industry, but we're also noticing what are they tweeting about? What are they talking about in their listservs? What are the topics at the conferences they're putting on? And that research lets us know what our potential content marketing opportunities are. So thus far on the Bright Umbrella blog, we've really written to our peers, um, kind of written what we've done to create a website or for our own social media strategy. And what Elise has advised us to do is start writing about what our clients need. And we're like, well, what do they need? She's like, go find out. So (laughs) by paying attention to what they're talking about on social media, to what they're talking about on conferences, and as I listed, we're getting a sense of what they're interested in. What what are their concerns? What are their pain points? Let's write to those. Um, So we're creating a content marketing strategy for the blog. And then that feeds our content marketing strategy for our newsletter where instead of, if, if anyone subscribes to our newsletter that listens, it's, 
it's basically a long newsletter about how great we are. Leia's <laughs> 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 like, going to this conference and Emily wrote this article and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's, you know, it's interesting, I guess, if you're my mom, but um, <laughs> she's having us instead focus the newsletter to the client needs. And right. rather than having to come up with something fresh every time, we're going to take one of the blog posts that we wrote that we already know is focused on that client and we're going to highlight it in the newsletter. Right. And so we're sort of getting a recycling effect and re-emphasizing our focus. Um, and then in addition to that, we are beginning, we haven't done it yet, but we're going to be doing more local networking for the organizations that we've joined. For example, Bright Umbrella is a, a WeBank certified woman-owned business. WeBank has events in both Leia's region and my region. Uh, Bright Umbrella is a member of the National Association of Women Business Owners. They have chapters in Seattle and Albuquerque. And so we are identifying events for us to attend. And as opposed to us going there with this intention of selling, Elise has advised us to go with the intention of being curious and finding out what people are, what people need and if what they need happens to align with what we provide. And the bottom line is all of this is to help us build relationships with people to show that we understand what they do and that we can help them do what they do better as opposed to, hey, I wrote this article. Aren't I really smart about HTML? <laughs> like, you know, right. so it's a, it's a big content marketing shift as well. Um, instead right. of writing to our peers, we're right. We're going to be writing to our clients. Our newsletters are going to be targeted at those client needs. And when I say going to be and will be, we're literally finalizing our first drafts of the first push of putting all this content out into the world. We've also made a ton of shifts on our website content. Um, and this goes back to what I said earlier, instead of emphasizing, you know, accessibility and HTML5 and responsive, we're talking about the solutions we've built for clients. And we're saying, we do this for you. We let you have increase your newsletter signups, or we give right. you an online enrollment system, or you know, very specific, very you, you, you um, versus us, us, us about, oh, we know how to do this, and we know how to do that. We know how to do that. It's, you need this, we can give it to you. Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot of the things that we've written, even technically, can translate into business stuff. It's just that we've never written the descriptions in a way that speaks to the client mm -hmm. because, you know, accessibility is, is important for businesses, especially, you know, large organizations or anyone that cares. It's, and if you're a, no, a nonprofit for sure. Um, but we don't just say like, Oh, Aria role. Like, what client knows what an aria role is you know like they like they no one knows but well, if you and even elise said the term accessibility for some people to them that's a one-to-one -one translation with like yeah. a wheelchair or something oh, yeah. yeah and so it's it's saying you have an older audience we know how to design so that they have an easier time reading your site yes yeah, yeah. exactly but it's still saying accessibility we're just we're just flipping the script so that we're, it's kind of translation, literally. Mm -hmm. Like so, we're so, saying this literally the same thing. 
so what's the replacement for accessibility? I'm sorry. Well, like an example of how we would talk about accessibility, we had a prospect who had an older audience. And so designing, you know, in a way so that it's easier for older readers to, you know, experience the site, that might be an example. Interesting. Okay, because okay, so we're about to do an accessibility event next week. So I'm just like, just trying to like figure out like, like yeah i mean i think you know something like that i'm sure like derek featherstone is like a pro at, on, right. at, yeah. at how you talk about accessibility in terms that people can relate to and understand mm-hmm. and it and it's not oh we put a bunch of aria roles and then we ran it through jaws like none of that means most means much to a lot of people right. what they care about is the challenges that they have connecting to their audience, understanding yeah. who their audience is and what that audience might have as a barrier to the content. I think that's great. I think that's awesome. I think it's pretty much good time to, uh, to wind down, but I would uh, have to ask both of you uh, in, to give me an answer as to uh, this is like just a really great process you guys have been going through. Uh, just I'm proud of, I've known you guys for a long time. I'm really proud of you both for doing this. So, and uh, uh, what, one thing would you think that you've learned the most that kind of shocked you or surprised you in doing this whole whole process so far? You know, getting comfortable with the idea of making a profit. You know, as yeah. as I said, the project that we're, we were talking about before making profit, we literally had a conversation where we're like, well, should we give them some money back? Like, <laughs> we, we honestly had that conversation because right. we were uncomfortable with the notion with confidence, yeah. that we didn't use all the hours that we had budgeted for. Like we mm-hmm. gave them everything and then some, but we didn't use all the hours. So what does that mean? And we basically, <laughs> thank God for Brad, because we just, <laughs> we just asked Brad and he's like, nope, that's your money. <laughs> like, okay, I have permission now. <laughs> I can accept the money. Oh, that's awesome. um, and yeah. if I could just put something else out there, this isn't necessarily related to the finance or the marketing, mm-hmm. but even if you, I think one of the things that has been the biggest lesson for me since Leia joined is how important it is for me to have a partner that I trust and can, well, <laughs> I, I feel like if I'm ever uncertain about a decision, I just asked Leia, and even if she doesn't have the answer, the process of us talking gets us to a place that we both feel is good for the business. Mm-hmm. And so it takes, it's not like my self-doubt is gone. I have a way to deal with the self-doubt and feel confident right. about my decisions. And I, I never had that before. And if, if, I knew to, if I knew then what I know now and didn't have Leia, I'd try and find somebody, maybe not a business partner, but somebody who you really can put that stuff in front of and is coming from yeah. a similar place as you and can advise you in some way because this is not easy and yeah. it's not intuitive. So I don't know what I would do without having Leia in this with me. Aw, Emily, <laughs> thank you. You know, to be honest, I don't know if it it was, I didn't really have a problem necessarily with the mind shift because I'm okay with making money. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the issue was taking responsibility and understanding that I don't know what I'm doing, Mm. you know, 
Like, I really feel like at some, like, cause I, you know, I ran Leia Design for eight years back in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, and Emily ran for five years. And I feel like at some point you think you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because when you are in that bad mindset, then you make a lot of mistakes and then you try to justify it in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, as in, like, make, you make excuses. And I feel like we were just in a, such a fortunate point, in, in some ways, like, the twisted part of, like, having a bad year is that it really was, like, the slap in the face saying, you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What you were doing wasn't working. And, and when you get to that point, you really have no choice but to ask for help. Mm. That, like, that, that really is. And I feel like we were just so... Um, lucky really mm-hmm. that the timing of when we needed help um i saw brad at converge we ended up having a conversation that led to um a skype call between the three of us and yeah. it, it set us in the right path like it literally set us in the path where we it's like we're finally getting it like mm-hmm. we're finally understanding that what um what we were doing was we're spinning our wheels, you know, and now let's put that energy because Emily and I are hard workers. We're willing to do whatever it takes. But if you're putting the hard work in the wrong place, mm-hmm. then all you have to show for is hard work, but no business, right. you know, like I'd rather work smart, right. you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely working smart. It's better than working hard. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. cool. um, awesome. So, how can people find you on the internet? Uh, so, our website is abrightumbrella.com. We are a bright umbrella on Twitter and a bright umbrella on Facebook. Okay. And I think on LinkedIn, we're bright dash umbrella because LinkedIn's funny about your, your handles. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, and then on Twitter, I'm Emily Lewis. Okay. And I'm at Leia Leia. Well, thank you both for taking the time to, to be on the show. We Absolutely. It. Well, thank you for having us. I, f- I feel like I feel like we're we get like extra special stars because we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about all the things we're learning. <laughs> but I mean, it feels it's like going to school. I feel like we've gone to school, and this mm-hmm. was like our our, our stand up and justify what we're <laughs> yeah, yeah. presentation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh man, so. Uh, I hope that's a good thing. Right? It so, is. <laughs> if I had gold stars, I'd give them out. Sorry. But, if if anything that we've said helps someone else, that's yeah. that's worth yeah. it. I there's not. I really believe in that adage about you know all boats rise with the tide. I want everyone yeah. to feel this sense of not just pride. I mean, I've always felt pride in the work that I did in terms of front end development. I but this is the first time I feel genuine pride in my growth as a business owner and. It feels really good. 